The big question is this, how do we use the seven step blueprint to help you or people you influence become more physically healthy than 98% of the people you know and in your community? That's what today's episode is all about. Let's get stuck into it straight away. Today's episode of the new science of physical health. Hi everybody, welcome back to this episode of the new science of physical health and the second episode in this series on the seven step blueprint to help people be more physically healthy than 98% of people that you know. Everybody, this episode is a direct follow up to the last one where we're going through the actual seven step blueprint and the overall strategy. So if you remember from the last episode, I talked about three things, strategy, tactics, and evidence. Now, we're not in this episode here, we're not into the tactic side of things. I'll do a little bit about the evidence, but it's mostly about the strategy of the seven step blueprint. And what the series is about at the present time I'm doing is going through the entire blueprint so that when you get through the four phases, so the seven steps, phase, uh, step, phase one is step one and two, phase two is this episode and the next episode. It's gonna make it all one, I think it kind of gets a little bit too long. So step three and step four, which today's episode is all about something that I'm introducing you to in a bit more detail of the strategy than the first episode, is called the molecular benefit map. And also step four, which will be the next episode now, that is called the impact quadrant. And then the episodes after that will be phase three, step five and six, and then phase four, which will be step seven of the seven step blueprint. So here's, here's the exact thinking pattern that I have in putting together this seven step blueprint. It's almost like what I would call a funnel. And here's what I mean. If you pour people in at the top, you know, metaphorically speaking, where we begin at step one, which is called professors explained. And then we take people down through step two, three, four, five, six, and seven. When they get to step seven, after a 90 day period, we can prove by using step seven that they are 98% more, oh sorry, I'll say this the right way, I always get this wrong. They are more physically healthy than 98% of the people that they know in their community. That's, as I said in the first episode in this series, that is a big, bold statement, and it's almost like a claim, how can you prove that? As you go through this series, you'll see why we can prove that, and we're not even gonna use evidence from the blueprint itself, we're gonna use step seven, which is where you go and see your own doctor, and your own doctor will prove to you that steps one to six have made you more physically healthy than 98% of the people in your community and significantly driven down and lowered your risk of the number one cause of sickness and death, cardiovascular disease, and the number two cause of sickness and death, cancer. And along the way, and this is a topic that, a questions that keep coming up when I'm talking to people and emailing people and messaging people back on social media, along the way, those of you that are dealing with particular uh, the particular health issue of obesity, like very large, very overweight, and some people listening to this series are, or some people who are listening to this series that influence other people who are looking for a solution, then this is going to be incredibly significant in that area. 
of obesity, meaning it's going to make a, a, a fantastic difference to people who are in that area. And I've already got some interviews with some people who've gone and dropped huge amounts of weight using some of the steps of the new science of physical health in this seven-step blueprint. So with that in mind, we're, up, we're out driving again. The family are quiet in the car. It's uh, holiday time here in Australia. And as I did in the last episode, I thought I'd use some drive time to get people, um, to, to get this episode out while the people, the family are quiet here and they're just listening to the episode live as it's been recorded. So thank you everyone for being in the car, for being quiet as we're driving around. As in the last episode, I'm not driving. My wife is driving. My son and, uh, and the dog are in the, back, uh, in the back seat as we drive off to our next location here on our holiday series. And I'll get out here and talk about the molecular benefit map. All right, so here's, let's start with the molecular benefit map and a little bit of, back, a little bit of background. In 2020, I wrote to a professor from Norway called Professor Ulrich Wisloff. Now, it's a, it's a pretty cool name for Aussies, Ulrich Wisloff, because it's, um, it's a little bit different. Uh, in terms, it's like we don't have too many Ulrichs in Australia. And uh, I wrote to this professor in Norway, who's a professor of exercise physiology and cardiology. So what Professor Wisloff does is he has, he is the lead professor at a Norwegian university where he has, according to the, the stuff that I've spoken to him about and the stuff that I've read about him, he has 55 staff in his laboratory at a Norwegian university. I think it's the Norwegian University of Technology working for him. And they work on all manner of different types of medical research related to, lots of it related to, the impact of physical activity on your risk of the leading cause of sickness and death, cardiovascular disease. That's where his predominant amount of work is focused on, is that is that particular topic. So, oh, as we drive along, here's a little bit of rain you might be hearing. Every now and again, you'll hear a blinker. So, Professor Wisloff, I wrote to him, wondering whether, now this, this particular um, uh, expert in this series, uh, and what I put together and professors explain, his expertise is absolutely phenomenal. When I looked in up, looked up his name, so, so I saw his name on a research paper from the American Heart Association. He was a contributing uh, research fellow on that paper. And also he has to do with step number six, which is useful data and the health software. And in fact, he is uh, the inventor of this health software. And then he's got a whole team around him. More about that later on when we get to step six. So um, when I looked when I looked him up and uh, read some stuff about him, I went to Google Scholar to look at the different types of research, and I've even got a, a uh, Google notification that comes up on a regular basis when new research comes out from him. And it's unbelievable that he and his team really are prolific in the area of examining the evidence behind the adaptations that occur as a result of specific. Well, this is the best way to describe it. Specific intensities of physical activity over a specific time period. And what adaptations occur inside the human body as a result of this particular focus that which we'll, which we'll track in step six. That's probably the easiest way to describe it right now because I don't want to get into too much detail about it. Google Scholar list Professor Wisloff as one of the four most cited professors in the world 
in exercise physiology and cardiology, because he works in that area as well, which is a very special person, foremost cited professors in the world on the impact of physical activity and exercise physiology on the cardiovascular system in human beings. So he is well respected. He, in fact, I read an article, I actually didn't ask him about this one, and I will the next time I speak to him, but an article where he uh, received an award from the King of Norway for his contributions in the field of medical research that he has. So he is worldwide recognized, and I was just so thrilled to spend time with him and communicate um, with him, where he wrote back to me, his exact words to me were that, the work we're doing here on the new science of physical health is groundbreaking because it's taking work like his and taking it out of the medical journals, that's the whole goal, taking it out of the medical journals where it sits for 5, 10, 20 years before it becomes mainstream. And he, he felt that that was one of the most groundbreaking things he'd seen and turn it and flip it into simple to use concepts and frameworks that anyone can use to improve their personal physical health status and lower the risk of the number one cause of sickness and death, cardiovascular disease. So on with what we're going to talk about. He's an awesome professor, very lovely person, and uh, and I think incredibly, incredibly busy. So on with, to, and you'll hear more about him in step number, uh, step number six when we get to that in this particular series of the seven-step blueprint. So on with what we want to talk about here, something called the molecular benefit map. One of the research papers that Professor Wisloff and some of his colleagues have put out is called, and I'll make this available in the show notes, all you have to do is click the link in the show notes and I'll get available. If you want the research behind this episode, the medical research, you're most welcome to it and I'll give that, I'll send that to you. So um, the, the research is about the molecular changes very complex um, medical paper, the molecular changes and adaptations that occur as a result of certain intensities of physical activity over a certain amount of time. I'll get very specific about what I mean with that when I get to step six in this series, because it sends sends me off down a little rabbit hole that takes us into another area that I don't want to talk about just yet. All right, so back to what we mean with the molecular benefit map. What, after reading that paper and having a, an interview with Professor Wisloff, I came to the conclusion that this was a very core, central focus piece of work that I need to put into the seven step series. Predominantly because my uh, philosophy is this, giving you steps five and six, which are the tactics, they're the things that you actually have to do Giving them by giving those to you by themselves doesn't change a lot of people's behaviour. It's what we call in education that does change people's behaviour and improves their capacity to act in a way which will improve their lives is creating something called deep knowledge. And that's what the molecular benefit map does. It'll give you deep knowledge about concepts that you have. I guarantee you've had no idea of that even existed. So, as I've said in one of my other episodes, it's a little bit like a David, what David Attenborough does. He takes people on a journey into a world of the environment that they never knew about. Well, the goal of things like the next two episodes, this one and the next one, the molecular benefit map and the impact quadrant, 
is to take you on a journey or anyone you influence into a world that I can absolutely guarantee you, you never knew existed. Well, most of you, many of you, in fact, the bulk of you, because this medical research is complex and it just sits, it's incredibly important what Professor Wisloff and his colleagues have done on this paper about molecular benefits or adaptations as a result of certain intensities of physical activity over a certain amount of time. And the way, and essentially what the molecular benefit map is going to show you with deep knowledge as I go through it, is just like a normal map where it takes you down, you know, if you, if, if you said whatever city you live in, whatever country town you live in, if you wanted to leave, because I grew up in a country town, 4,000 people, and now I live in Australia's biggest city, Sydney, but if, if you want to leave, um, you know, where you live and, you know, you want to go 100 kilometers away to a destination you've never been to. Now, the destination inside the new science of physical health is the destination. Be more physically healthy than 98% of people you know. Now, I'll put a little preface in there. Some of you listening to this are already in that category, but you don't know it. I'll prove it to you with step five and step six, the actual tactics. And you want to know, are you in that category of more physically healthy than 98% of people you know? And have you lowered the risk? Can we clinic? How can we clinically prove that you've driven down the risk of the number one cause of sickness and death, cardiovascular disease? Now, that's some of you. But there's a lot of you, or people you influence, who have never been in that situation where you're more physically healthy than 98% of the people you know, and you actually have a high risk of the leading cause of sickness and death, and you might not even know it, cardiovascular disease, you might not even know it, but if you want to lower it. So they're the two reasons that we put this together. So back to the molecular benefit map side of things. That's the purpose. Back to the molecular benefit map. Creating deep knowledge allows you to create deep engagement, particularly if you build it up over time. So what I'm encouraging people to do is to go through the, all the seven steps in this particular series. So we have the step one, professors explain, step two, the influencer framework, where I, I went over the overall strategy of those in the first episode. And now let's tuck into the molecular benefit map. You've got a bit of the history of it and how it was developed. Now, what is it? What is the molecular benefit map? It is a GPS to get you from the start, wherever you might be, and get you to the end as you go through this whole series and actually have these changes and improvements happen to your body. So let me explain what I mean by a map. Inside the molecular benefit map they've created is a series of eight molecular adaptations that occur as a result of focusing on the core principle inside the influencer framework, which I haven't even told you which one it is. But if you've listened to my series before, you'll know which one it is. So remember in the influencer framework, there's six things that are leading contributors to cardiovascular disease. High blood pressure, high blood sugar, smoking, obesity, active heart fitness score, and the high blood cholesterol. Those are the six things. One of those is the leading contributor to lowering your risk of cardiovascular disease. So when you work on that, the core principle, so it's called the core principle, of the new science of physical health, which we'll give you after the, you know, throughout the series. When you work on that one, out of those six, when you find out which one that is, 
we'll have a whole episode just on that because that, once again, that sends us down a rabbit burrow. When you work on, you find out which one of those six it is and you work on it and work on it and work on it over a 90-day period, then another 90-day period, another 90-day period, so four 90-day periods back-to-back. When you work on it and you improve it, these, what I'm about to read out to you, are the molecular benefits or the, the adaptations at a cellular level, okay? That will drive down your risk of a cardiovascular event. So let me explain what's inside the map. And I just got to go to a diagram of what that is all about so that I can make sure that I, get it, that I actually get it correct. So here's what we have. The first part of the map is called endothelial dysfunction. Likely a word you've never heard of. I'll describe it a bit to you in a moment. The second part of the molecular benefit map is called left ventricle volume. That's something to do with the heart. We'll come back to that, the human heart. The next part is also to do with the human heart. It's called stroke volume. Now, if you're a physical education teacher or a sports scientist like me, you may have heard of the second and third one, left ventricle volume and stroke volume. But you don't know... What most people don't know, you may know this, depending on your level of expertise, you don't, what most people don't know is, what is the dose of physical activity which improves my left ventricle volume, why does that need to improve, and what improves my overall stroke volume? What's the correct dose? That is what we specifically will go through when we get to tactics, but today it's just about overall strategy. Although I'm gonna talk about one of the tactics in this molecular benefit map, to give people an idea and they'll come back in a minute and I'm going to go over in some detail the something called endothelial dysfunction because it is primary in terms of what we need to understand. The next part of the map is cardiac fibrosis, something you might likely have never heard of. The next thing to do is with mitochondrial improvement. You may have heard of mitochondria if you're a sports scientist or a PE teacher, but you may know, not know What's, how do you improve the mitochondrial function and what is the benefit of improving the mitochondrial function in driving down your risk of a cardiovascular event. So then there's something called cardiac hypertrophy. You might have an idea of what that means. Then another one called electrophysical properties of the heart improves that. And then something that I've never even heard of called chronotropic incompetence. So Those are eight things. I'll just go over them quickly. Endothelial dysfunction, left ventricle volume, stroke volume, cardiac fibrosis, mitochondrial function, uh, cardiac hypertrophy, uh, electrophysical properties of the heart, and chronotropic incompetence. Those are the eight things that are inside the molecular benefit map. There are eight significant changes that happen as a result of the correct dose of physical activity. Step six, step five and step six will tell you how we determine that and adaptations that we know will drive down your... And we know what by what percentage. I was given a full presentation, like a PowerPoint presentation by Professor Wisloff, and I'll go over some of that, about how much it drives down as a percentage your risk of a cardiovascular event if you use the correct dose of physical activity on a seven-day cycle, okay? So we'll come to that later on in step five and step six. The big episode, step five and six, because steps uh, one, two, and three, and four build up to using the tactics in step five and step six. 
but once again, it's required because I have spent, remember I've been doing this for 32 years, I have spent lots of time just saying to people, here you go, here's step five and six, go use them. Here's step five and six, go use them. And people don't do it, or if they start using them, they drop off really quickly. My goal is to embed deep knowledge to give you deep engagement, which gives you long-term behavioral change. That's the philosophy behind this from an educative purpose standpoint. All right, let's get tucked into now. So let me come back to the first part of the molecular benefit map, the adaptation improvements as a result of the correct dose of physical activity. So let's talk about endothelial dysfunction. First of all, what does endothelial mean? Inside, you have a blood vessel network that if you, this blows my mind every time I say it, if you put your, took your blood vessel network out, and you can't do that because we wouldn't be alive after that, but if you took the length of your blood vessel network and put it end to end, all the blood vessels. So I'll give you just an example of how many blood vessels you have inside the human body because everyone thinks, oh yeah, there's blood vessels in the heart, there's probably some in the arm, some in the chest and some in the legs. No, 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 no. It goes way deeper than that. I'll give you a visual representation. All right. Inside, before I get to endothelial tissue, because endothelial tissue is the skin on the inside of every blood vessel in your body, which means it's the largest part of the human body is the endothelial tissue. And significantly important for your risk of a cardiovascular event is what's happening to the endothelial tissue. But as and I've got, as I've said before on this show, on my radio show here, I've got listeners in, and it's gone up to 53 countries now, and 500 and something cities. So, and given that, um, I know that in speaking with lots of people, communicating and messaging people through different social media, um, people have never heard of endothelial tissue, yet it's the largest part of the human body. So anyway, this is how much endothelial tissue you've got, because remember, it's the skin that's the best description I'm going to use as a, as a layperson, on the inside of every blood vessel that you have in, in the arteries. It might be in the veins. I better check that one out. I'll tell you about arteries and veins later and the difference and capillaries another time. Unless you already know, I don't have to tell you. So here's, here's how many blood vessels you have in the human body to give you an idea. I'm going to use your lungs as an example. You have a left, right, left lung and a right lung. Inside those lungs are tiny air sacs called alveoli. I think that's how you pronounce it, alveoli. Those tiny little air sacs are so small, and so this is is hard to believe this one, but it's true. They are so small inside your lungs that you have 250 million of them in your left lung and 250 million approximately in your right lung. So if you took your lungs out and counted them all up, 500 million, 500 million of them. Not 5 million, not 50,000, 500 million air sacs. Now, listen to this. In Australia, we, when I was growing up, we had an expression that says, cop a load of this, meaning listen to this information. You have blood vessels, multiple blood vessels in your lungs surrounding, attached to every single air sac. Oh, hang on a second. And they're, they're microscopic almost, like hair-like. And if I had hair... That's how thin they be. So think about this. One air sac has multiple blood vessels. And what happens is, the reason it does, is when you breathe in air through a, a, um, a, a biological process called osmosis, 
oxygen is extracted out of the air in your lungs, in your air sacs, and the blood vessels pick up the oxygen to send it to your heart. That's why there are blood vessels, that many, multiple blood vessels surrounding every air sac. So let's just say that there are two blood vessels on every single air sac. I think there's more than that, but let's just say there's two. That's 500 million times two. Is that a billion blood vessels? Is that a billion? No wonder it wraps around the earth. That's just your lungs. That doesn't count the human brain. Like, that is, that is a world that most people don't know about. And there's a skin on the inside of all those, every single blood vessel called the endothelial tissue. Now, here's how important the endothelial tissue is. As you move from the age of 10, so my son is 11 right now, to 20, if you don't have the correct, if you do not have, I'll say this slowly, not in my fast Australian speak, if you don't have the correct dose of physical activity on a regular basis from the ages of 10 to 20, you're not even an adult yet, you are at the end of it, but not most of the time, you will start to have damage to endothelial tissue around the human body. What do I mean by damage? It's all smooth when you're 10 years of age because you haven't lived long enough and the lining of the endothelial tissue lets blood flow very naturally, very easily. Damage is, as you get older, that starts to become rough and plaques can begin to develop. Now, plaque inside the, the lining of your endothelial tissue, so the inside of the blood vessel, a plaque means like plaque on your teeth, but it's embedded in the wall of the endothelial tissue. So that begins to happen between... I know I've spoken to some childhood physical activity research professors, so professors of exercise physiology and medicine who study children, and they know that this happens. They know that it begins, particularly if you have low doses and incorrect doses of physical activity between the ages of 10 to 20, a whole decade. Now, think about this. You get to 30 years of age. Does anyone think at 30 years of age they're very old? No, of course not. But between the ages of 20 and 30, if you have the incorrect doses of physical activity or or no doses, which most people, many people don't, more than half don't, then more plaques begin to develop inside the endothelial tissue. And then you've had 20, time you get to 30, you've had 20 years of it. Then you go from um, 30 to 40, no physical activity or low doses of or incorrect doses of physical activity, endothelial tissue begins to have more dysfunction. Means it gets more damaged by the time you're 40. That's 30 years of dysfunction. And if, it, if there is dysfunction, lots and lots of bad things can happen. In fact, from a physiological point of view, and a cardiovascular event. So endothelial dysfunction is a major, major risk factor for different types of cardiovascular events. Now, the ones that you're most familiar with would be heart attack and stroke. So a person like my father who passes away, just drops dead one afternoon out of nowhere, didn't even know he was sick, drops dead, and he's had endothelial dysfunction because he didn't do any exercise, leaves school at 13 and starts working. And he didn't have the correct dose of physical activity because no one taught him any deep knowledge. He stopped learning at 13, 
that type side of things. He learned other things. But he didn't learn stuff that would be protective against the number one cause of sickness and death. And that's why I wanted to create the new science of physical health to get people deeply engaged. So he drops dead at 46 one afternoon at 3 p.m. on a Thursday, on November the 1st, way back in 1989, when I was 22 years of age, a long time ago. I'm now, I'm now nine years older, just about to turn nine years older than what my father was when he passed away. So, because I use the correct dose of physical activity, because I, want, I don't want endothelial dysfunction. So, I won't go into right now in this, it's an overall strategy episode, I won't go into all the detailed tactics about what kinds of things does endothelial dysfunction cause. Like, like how does that actually do that? We'll save that for some other episodes where we'll go even deeper than this surface level strategy type stuff that we're going to talk about just here. So... With that, in, with that in mind, um, what happens is this, with the endothelial dysfunction. My father had 30 years of it by the time he reached 46 years of age. 30 years of it. That is just incredible. And he's only 46. But that's because it happens and starts happening. The, the degradation or the changes that happen as endothelial dysfunction. Here's one of the changes. Let me just talk about one of the things of why endothelial dysfunction causes a problem. As you age, even from the age of 10 to 20, certainly by the end of that that decade, once you're getting close to 20, no doses or very low doses or incorrect doses of physical activity begin to cause something called arterial stiffness. Now, there's a way to change this using the correct doses, but arterial stiffness begins. That means, and I've talked about this in the last episode, that means if Take a a hose that's been outside in the freezing cold. So if you live somewhere where it snows, or even if it doesn't, I mean, this used to happen to me in Australia where it used to get to naught degrees Celsius. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit um, for those listeners, but to get to naught degrees Celsius, you wake up in the morning, go and turn the hose on to hose off the windscreen for my dad's car. I remember doing this as a kid, and it's like naught degrees Celsius. Look that up if you want to know what it is in Fahrenheit. And the hose is almost frozen and you pick it up and you bend it. And at some, a few times when I was a kid, the hose, it was so freezing cold. It might be where you live. Like even if the northern part of America gets this cold. Um, and Canada, for example, for sure, up in, the, you know, Norway and those kind of countries and, you know, Switzerland. I don't know. We've got listeners in Switzerland, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, then that hose will break because it's that cold. Well, what happens with endothelial dysfunction? is it causes your arteries to be stiff like a, like a hose outside in the freezing cold, very stiff and inflexible. That's dangerous, really dangerous. Why? Here's one example. Blood comes out of your heart, and because it's not a flexible artery, it reaches your toes and fingers. We call that the um, peripheral areas of your blood vessel network, away from your heart. It reaches it really fast because it's stiff, not flexible, and it returns to your heart really fast. That is incredibly dangerous if your artery, if you have stiff arteries, because the faster with which your blood travels around the network, leaves your heart, reaches your toes and fingers and returns, the more strain it puts on your heart, increases your resting heart rate, can increase your blood pressure, can increase the pressure at what we call end stage organs, things like your kidneys and your eyes. 
So it, it become, and that can become very, very dangerous, like incredibly dangerous. Because if you get, um, what's, which one, which, I'm thinking of which example I'll use. If you get, for example, end-stage organ failure at your kidneys as a result of years and years and years of stiff arteries because you have endothelial dysfunction, then your kidneys can fail. You need a kidney dialysis, won't repair itself, and you need a kidney transplant. Or your organs can just shut down altogether and then you can't live and your body won't live any further. So cardiovascular disease is not just heart attack and stroke. End-stage organ failure. In fact, when I um, interviewed Dr. Eduardo Sanchez from the American Heart Association, he's the chief medical prevention officer. He has a PhD in medicine, a doctor of medicine, and he's also an expert in public health. When I interviewed to him, his exact words to me were, that if you've never listened to that episode in this series, he said to me that... Um, End-stage organ failure is a nasty, nasty, nasty disease. And yet people, like, it all comes back to, I'm talking about this molecular benefit map and adaptations or improvements that happen as a result of the correct dose of physical activity, which we'll get to in step five and six. And what happens is, is that endothelial dysfunction kicks off at a young age, makes your arteries very inflexible, and then that causes blood to flow faster through the network. And then that sets off all sorts of problems over many years. Now, here's the interesting thing. Think about this. If you go to a dentist because you've got a tooth pain, invariably the tooth pain never goes away. And you can't live with the tooth pain. And that's the reason that you go to a dentist. Well, the problem with what I've just described to you, endothelial dysfunction, which is kicking off at a young age, you don't feel pain. You don't feel pain at 10 to 20. You don't feel pain at 20 to 30 with endothelial dysfunction. You don't feel it with 30 to 40. So it's not like the dentist where you go, oh, I better go and get treated then because I've probably got a feeling that I need or this tooth is whatever needs to be pulled out, whatever dentist will do with that particular tooth. So the great problem becomes is that you can't feel it. So my father and his so-called sudden death wasn't sudden because I can guarantee you he had endothelial dysfunction. Why? Because I lived with him from the age of naught until 22 when he, when I was 22 when he passed away. And I don't ever remember a single day where he did physical activity. Not one. Now, why? That's, is that his fault? No, because, not in my opinion, he leaves school at 13. He has no deep knowledge, no understanding of the molecular benefit map and the adaptations and improvements that happen if you have the correct dose of physical activity and over a seven-day period and had no understanding of the catastrophic damage that not doing that did to the molecular benefit map. So the molecular benefit map can be used in two ways. You can look at it and say, I'm improving my endothelial function so that my blood vessel network is becoming more elastic as I age, not less, or I am decreasing my endothelial dysfunction because I don't have the correct dose of exercise. So take a second one. I'm either improving my left ventricle volume which is the second part of the molecular benefit map, which I'm not going to go into in this episode. I'm not going to go into any more than just endothelial dysfunction because there's too many for this episode, too much for this episode. We'll be here too long. I've got that later on in a course that will come out. Um, so the endothelial uh, 
the, the endo the, sorry the left ventricle volume is either improving or decreasing or staying the same well if it stays the same and it was already bad but you don't know what bad left ventricle volume is because no one's ever taught you and you've never almost certainly never been to a cardiologist to measure your left ventricle volume because you only go to a cardiologist when you're sick you don't go there for precaution measures although <laughs> that might be a good idea asking a doctor so but what we do know is you can have a fantastic left ventricle volume you can have superb endothelial function which is flexibility of your blood vessel network by using step five and six and having the correct dose of physical activity over a seven day period we know you can have fantastic stroke volume and all the other things that we're going to mention in a future course for the molecular which the seven step blueprint which will include the exact tactics of the molecular benefit map. We've only given you one today where we're talking about endothelial dysfunction because it's a big area to go through. Like, it's really complex with a lot of new ideas and I'm trying to make it... I want it to be simple, not complex, so we can all go, whoa, I never even knew about endothelial tissue. I certainly never knew there were 500 million air sacs in my left and right lung and I had no clue there's at least two or more blood vessels surrounding every single air sac and on the inside of every blood vessel is this skin called endothelial tissue and not having the correct dose of physical activity from the age of 10 onwards causes dysfunction of that and as I progress through each decade leads to a cardiovascular event or a huge risk of a cardiovascular event. That's why cardiovascular disease is the number one cause of sickness and death by a country mile. That's an expression we have in Australia. I'm not sure whether you have it where you live, but by a country mile. I mean, cancer is insidious. My mother died of cancer. My father died of a cardiovascular event. But cancer is insidious and it's horrible. Well, I don't, wouldn't wish it on anyone. I don't want people to have it. And it's 8.2 million deaths per year worldwide, approximately. And cardiovascular disease is 18 million. And... If you lower your risk for cardiovascular disease using these seven steps, we'll talk with an oncologist, a, cardi- a, a, a um, cancer doctor. If you use the core principle in step number two of the influencer framework and all the steps combined, not only will you lower your risk of cardiovascular disease, you lower it of cancer. Not Now, remember, I'm an educator. I'm looking for the evidence to back up those statements. And there is evidence galore inside the medical research and all the doctors, PhDs that I've interviewed, work with, and are continuing to do so, particularly here in my holiday period. So, here in Australia, but this episode's not being published in the holiday period. So, that you lower your risk of, of the, the, so let's say 18 plus eight, you know, it's like 26, 26 million deaths, and the two leading causes are cardiovascular disease and cancer, and if you use the core principle inside the seven-step blueprint, so inside the influencer framework from the previous episode, if you're not listened to it, and you use step five and six, you'll absolutely have huge improvements and molecular adaptations and changes, but particularly in the endothelial tissue. More flexible and less problems going forward for the rest of your life with your risk of a cardiovascular event. And I'll get to the percentages throughout these episodes as we go forward, the exact percentages, and I'll put that into the course that will come out eventually. 
and will have the exact percentages of your risk as given to me by Professor Wisloff by using the correct dose and the core principle of the new science of physical health. So I'm really excited about that. And that is, the, the, the I want to wrap this episode up now and kind of pull it all together. Remember, there's eight things inside the molecular benefit map. If you want the picture of the molecular benefit map, go to the show notes and I'll send it to you. So if you want this diagram, it'll come out in a new book later on and it will also be a part of this course that comes out later on. So if you want that, uh, the diagram now though, and anything else I think I've mentioned throughout this episode, just go to the show notes and fill out the form and I'll send it to you so you can see what I'm talking about rather than just a verbal description. So those are the, those are the things that um, are available. So remember, there's eight different things and it's endothelial. I'm not looking at the map now. I've got to try and remember it off the top of my head. Let's see how I go. Endothelial dysfunction, which we've talked about. Left ventricle volume, which we've only just mentioned, to do with the heart. Stroke volume, to do with the heart. What was the one after that? I know there's mitochondrial function. That's not the next one. There's chronotropic incompetence, cardiac hypertrophy, uh, cardiac fibrosis, which probably never heard of. And then there's one other one in there. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head because I'm not looking at the diagram anymore. All right. So there's eight different things in there or molecular adaptations, changes and improvements with the correct dose of physical activity and using the core principle of the new science of physical health. So I've had three world famous doctors tell me that the core principle inside the new science of physical health. So an example was when I spoke to Dr. Kenneth Cooper, the person I call the father of the new science of physical health. He's from Dallas, Texas, the Cooper Institute, the father of modern aerobics, and also probably, I think, the, the most comprehensive researcher in human history on the adaptations. He said of, as a result of using the core principle inside the influencer framework, which is step number two in this series. In the previous episode. So he said to me in Nashville, so he's, I said this in the last episode, we're in Nashville, Tennessee together, Dr. Kenneth Cooper and I, he's 87 years old, it's a few couple of years ago now, I think he's about 90, celebrating his 90th birthday, there's a test, and he's, man, this guy is incredible, like he is um, as, a, as sharp as a tack, still as sharp as a tack, and I think a huge amount of it is to do with he lives what he researches. And so he uses the core principle of the new science of physical health, obviously. And he's still, he was giving a lecture at 87 years of age. And I was like hanging off every drop in this particular lecture. Um, So Dr. Cooper said to me, this is a one-on-one conversation. If you don't, this is the exact words were, and I I won't mention the name of the core principle because that's for the course later on. He said, I'll keep it a bit of a mystery if you haven't listened to all my previous episodes. So he said to me, he goes, if you don't focus in life on the core principle of the new science of physical health from the influencer framework and you don't use it, you can't be physically healthy. That's what he said to me. And I've had all numerous other doctors, but three major ones say to me exactly the same thing. And they're all from different parts of the world. If you don't use it, then you can't be physically healthy. Hence the reason why this huge part of the population as adults drifts from 20s to 20 to 30 years of age and become less physically healthy because they don't use the core principle. Then from 30 to 40, another increase in um, the number of adults that are not physically 
healthy, excuse me, and it goes on and on. So that can we continue as, you, as people progress through life, they become less physically healthy because they don't know what the correct dose is. And in fact, lots of people, this is interesting, lots of people think they're getting the correct dose and using the core principle of, of the new science of physical health, but it turns out when you measure it, they're not. So we'll talk about how to measure it, step five. So, with that in mind, the next episode is still phase two. So all this is phase two. Step three, step four. I've gone through the adaptations with the molecular benefit map as an overall strategy and some detail about the tactics of endothelial tissue. The next episode is about the impact quadrant. The impact quadrant is the second framework and it's a different framework, completely different, about adaptations as a result of using the correct dose of physical activity. It has a completely different focus, really cool diagram that goes with this, and a really cool explanation about adaptations inside the human body as a result of using the core principle of the new science of physical health and the correct dose of physical activity. So that's a wrap on this one. We've got a little bit technical here and a little bit technical on the next one, but it begins, these episodes begin to build deep knowledge. They start you off. But later on when we get to the course and the book, I'm going to go into a journey that's really deep about all of the things mentioned here in the molecular benefit map and all of the things I'll mention in the next episode which will come out shortly called the impact quadrant because this is where step number th- um, step number three and step number four, phase two, is where the rubber meets the road. When you can start to embed in your life, so in one of the web classes that I give in the course, that I'll be giving in the course, I talk about, say, you know, take a topic that you might know something about, right? Let's go with, what do I go with? I'll go with Star Wars, okay? I don't know much about Star Wars. My 11-year-old son does. So he knows all the episodes. He's 11. He knows all the episodes. He knows what order they come out in. He knows, you know, uh, all the different characters' names. There's a new TV series on Disney Plus that just came out called The Mandalorian. He knows all about the powers that The Mandalorian has, all about the... um the metal suit that the Mandal... I don't know where he... I think he watches some YouTube shows on this. I don't know where he picks all this stuff up from. It's phenomenal. Like, he knows everything about the Mandalorian. And I don't know about all... I don't have a surface level, at best, about Star Wars. Now, here's the analogy I want to wrap up on this episode. Most people I know have, at best, a surface level knowledge about, no deep knowledge, about the adaptations that occur as a result of the correct dose of physical activity. So therefore, they're not into it. And many, many people don't understand what, if you don't use the correct, if you don't use the core principle of the new science of physical health, most people don't know why that's dangerous. They just don't know. Some people do, but it's a small section of the population, really small, that use the correct dose. Some people think they're using incorrect dose, and they're not. So my son has deep knowledge about Star Wars, and he's 11 years old. Yeah, I'll bet you, if I, and we're doing this with him, but if I help give him deep knowledge about molecular benefit map and the impact quadrant, then he can use that knowledge to improve his life. Knowing about Star Wars improves his feeling about being entertained. 
which is a, is a good thing. Like, he really enjoys it. Like, it gives him pleasure. And that's a great con- contributor to his mental health. Because he's having some fun. He's enjoying himself. That's what life's all about. But my great tragedy is that I realized that someone like my dad, and then combining it with my 32-year career now of teaching health and physical education, people get deep knowledge about Star Wars or... My, one of my favourite areas is Marvel movies. Like, I, I read all these comics when I was a kid, Marvel and DC comics, and I know heaps about that. I can tell you about all the characters, about the origin stories. You know, have you ever seen the Marvel movies like Endgame, the highest-selling movie of all time? Um, and you have um, the character, the superheroes in there, Ant-Man and Wasp, and Hank Pym, who played by Michael Douglas. And uh, I can't remember his wife's name in that one. But I know about the origin story of Ant-Man. I know all the powers of Ant-Man, all the powers of the Wasp. I know this sounds pretty corny, but I read all those comics when I was a kid and I've never forgotten them because I got deep knowledge. But I've also got deep knowledge about the new science of physical health. And that's what I want people to do is to develop deep knowledge in the same way that they develop deep knowledge about topics that give them entertainment and pleasure and improve their mental health. Because if you don't develop deep knowledge about the new science of physical health, absolutely guarantee you, absolutely guarantee you, either you or the people you influence could help put them in a catastrophic position at some point in time from their risk of the leading cause of sickness and death, cardiovascular disease. So I'm really into combining concepts that are real world with the medical research and the doctors that I get to interview on this show. We've got more doctors coming up this year because we've already got a whole bunch in the pipeline. So thank you for joining me this episode. I hope this is, has uh, this surface level of the molecular benefit map has made sense. If you want the image of the molecular benefit map, the drawing, just go to the show notes and I'll send it to you and anything else that I think I've mentioned in here. And there'll be more stuff coming out about this over the rest of this particular calendar year it's uh it's the start of the calendar year where i'm in my holiday period where i've recorded the episode and thank you for joining me see you at the next one where we're going to dive into deep knowledge overall strategy about the impact quadrant all right everybody have a great day i can't wait today it's raining here in sydney but i can't wait to get some uh correct dose of well, actually i'm not in sydney i'm up the coast at the moment um but that's okay. Still a holiday. Doesn't matter. Still enjoying ourselves. But I can't wait to get the correct dose of physical activity today using the core principle of the new science of physical health because then I'll know I've improved my endothelial dysfunction. All right, everyone. Um, Thanks for joining me. See you at the next episode on the Impact Quadrant. Bye for now.